When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Impact Theory. Today's guest is Andrew Yang. He's an entrepreneur and former presidential candidate turned philanthropist and CNN political commentator. The Obama White House named him a champion of change in 2012, and his fresh take on the faults in the current model of capitalism, paired with his data-driven, human-first approach to business, saw him enlisted as a presidential ambassador for entrepreneurship in 2015. Now, despite having suspended his 2020 bid for the presidency, he is nonetheless providing a vision for how we move forward through his podcast, Yang Speaks, and his philanthropic initiatives, including his most recent project, Humanity Forward. Andrew, welcome to the podcast, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Dude, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Um, watching you uh, go through the process of running for presidency, I was really excited. I was really excited by the way that you think, uh, by the way that you let data drive your decisions. I'm so obsessive about that here in my company. I, I will say that. Well, I, I understand the impulse as an entrepreneur uh, because there is something very, very particular and important to starting a business, running a business, making payroll, being responsible for an organization. Uh, it, it is uh, its own process. And it certainly defined me as an adult, really. Um, when when I was the CEO of uh, my company, I felt like I was the head of a family, a head of a really big household. No question. Um, it When you really stop and take on that kind of responsibility and you take on the fact one thing that i've said about being an entrepreneur is when your house is on the line and that those were really the stakes for lisa and i when we first started um quest was you know we had been in this other company um we had been doing fine and when we transitioned to starting quest it was such a huge question mark and obviously we didn't know if it was going to work so it was like all right if we do this we have to face honestly that we could lose our house and there was something clarifying about that. All of a sudden, for me, ego went out the window. And it was just, what is the data saying? What's working? What's not working? Um, and then as you begin to take on employees, you really do feel like the head of a family. You're like, yo, these people either have a, a roof over their head or a great Christmas, or they're able to you know, make sure that their family is eating healthy food based on whether I can keep this company running or not and whether I make the right decisions or not. And so that was going through that process was part of what gave me sort of this halo glow around um, capitalism, around entrepreneurship, running companies. And it's been really sad for me to see um, how dysfunctional it's become and that there are so many people. And in fact, this is there's a couple things I want to talk about. One, um, why you're doing the podcast, which I think is interesting and what sort of the core thesis is now that you're not running for office. Um, and then, like, as we think about fixing the system, you know, capitalism was a system that treated me very well. So I came up middle class, maybe lower middle class, worked my way up, became very successful, it was fucking brutally difficult. 
um, did not feel like things were handed to me. And, and so I'm looking back like, yo, this is possible. This is amazing. And to see so many smart people say, no, there is a deep and fundamental flaw. And unless we overcome that, um, people won't be able to, to change classes. Well, and, well, and my well, sort of did. Yeah. So what do you see as, as the, to encapsulate sort of the broken part as it relates to, um, you know, the, the average kid coming out of college right now, which is probably my default, which I know is a little bit different than, than the default that you think from. Um, but I'd be interested to, to hear what you think um, and then how you plan to get the message out to the podcast. Well, I, I'd say, Tom, everything you said, I can relate to very, very directly. Uh, and in my mind, two things are fundamentally true. One is that uh, entrepreneurs had to work themselves to the bone in order to build any kind of quality business or organization that's successful. And I take it from big company uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs down to the person who just like opened that food truck. That food truck was so much work, <laughs> you know, or like the quarter deli or whatever it was, like so much went in, like, you know, like they, they put their heart and soul into it. A lot of them have their savings or future on the line. Like those things are, uh, are it's totally the case that if you're an entrepreneur, um, you work your heart out if you were successful. And then the other thing that's also true now, and I'm a numbers guy, is that uh, entrepreneurship went off a cliff over the last number of years for young people, uh, for 80% of the country geographically, where we've consolidated away a lot of the opportunities that would have existed at another point in time. And so it, it's funny to balance this tension between being like, hey, go out, kick ass, take names, build something awesome, which I love. I mean, I spent years of my life trying to help people do that. And also, oh, by the way, I've looked at the numbers and we are uh, making it progressively more difficult for anyone to do what I just said. <laughs> because, and, and one of the examples I use, Tom, is like if you were to rewind a couple of generations ago, what business would someone have started in Indiana or uh, you know, uh, Mississippi or wherever? And they would have started a flower shop, a hardware store, a kid's toy store, like, you know, some kind of business that like serves people in the community. Like now those opportunities don't even exist. It's like, you know, you have to be an idiot <laughs> to like, try to open, like, like a kid's toy store in like Main Street, Indiana. Like that's just dumb because everyone's just going to like hit a few buttons and like get the toys um, delivered to them. So the, the nature of the opportunities has changed. And it's made it so that uh, specific types of people are more able to, to capitalize on the opportunities that do exist. So let's talk about that. What are those opportunities? And the I don't know if I'm using this term right, but the circle that I'm trying to square is um, that when I think about the journey that I went on, so I graduate from college with a degree in film, not exactly very helpful. Um, I didn't, you know, it's not like I have a degree in finance. Um, I have no entrepreneurs in my background. I started at the very first company that was a startup that I worked at. Um, I started as a copywriter and I worked my way up through that company um, and then ultimately founded um, other companies, multiple companies, but um, founded those from scratch with equal partners and built those up. And it, we, Quest was started right at the sort of beginning of the Great Recession. So we started that company in 2009. It was officially launched in 2010, but we were conceptualizing of it in 2009 at the, at the height of all the problems. And we bootstrapped it. So it was like all of the things that 
I think about like, I'm not the person that should have succeeded, right? I didn't go to an Ivy League. I didn't go learn finance. I don't have rich friends. Um, so how, what, what is the sort of core that's fallen out that makes this now so difficult for like me? Are you saying if I were to do all of that now? Well, your, your story uh, actually feels very familiar to me, Tom. And at this point, you know, probably dozens of entrepreneurs uh, who've done things in different lines of work. The fact that you are a film major or, or a creative or an artist is actually a very common theme in a lot of entrepreneurs. You remind me, frankly, of many people I know who went on to become successful entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, you're like uh, self-disciplined, data-driven, really clear thinking, like no nonsense. Uh, it's like someone like you would find ways to succeed in a, in a myriad of organizations, just like when you started out as a copywriter and everyone around you was like, you know what? Like if you give Tom shit to do, he gets it done and it's good. And it's actually even better than whatever the heck you like gave him originally because he like improved on whatever the heck the, the project was. And then you just keep on accruing responsibilities. You climb up and then you get to a point where you're like, you know what? Like I am actually as capable of anyone as like, starting a business, running a business, and then you go out and do it. Uh, yeah, so all of those things are actually achingly familiar to me. Like if, if a young Tom like shows up in an organization, I get so psyched because you can just like dump stuff on that person. <laughs> There's like keep on, like end up building a whole department and then eventually um, build a company. So there are people that uh, are built like you. Um, and uh, if you had like 100 U's lined up, now, it's like many of them would still find success really in any circumstance. Um, but there are, there are some people that would not. And the ratio of people that would find success, because I'm like a data driven, I'm like almost like pattern matching, where like, so if there were like 100 U's like split up among the 50 states, like, um, you know, now, um, it would be a very, very different picture than it would have been a generation ago. I can say that with absolute confidence, because like, I've just looked at the numbers, and the bottom has fallen out in terms of uh, small business formation in most of the country. And the bottom has fallen out uh, for this uh, generation behind us, like the folks who are in their 20s and 30s are starting businesses at multi-generational lows. So talk to me about what the bottom is. What, what exactly has fallen out? And I'll, again, I'll contextualize where I come from. So um, I'm like, imagine me for a decade saying to everybody around me, yo, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's amazing. Like you can do this. You got it. Get skills. That's my obsession. Get skills. And so I had to build up the sort of mental and emotional resilience. I was not voted most likely to succeed. Like th this is all about the all, science seems to say 50% of you is just hardwired. 50% is malleable. So I've always counted the vast majority of my success to the 50% that's malleable. It's not all. Sure, some of it is a level of intelligence and all that. Um, but so what, why is that like a dirty word, the notion of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? It, it, this is such a fun conversation because I think they're parallel tracks. Um, and I think that they're both necessary. So number one is to the extent that someone can take that 50% of themselves that's malleable and improve upon it uh, in ways that make them healthier, happier, more productive, like uh, uh, more successful, better to work with, a better partner. Because I know that just like you work on yourself for businesses, like you work on yourself in your uh, uh, marriage and partnership, um, like those things are all awesome. Uh, and we should be encouraging people to do that. 
in whatever way we can. And I know you've done a lot of that. Um, it helped many, many people. Um, you know, I like to think I've helped some people too. Um, and then simultaneously you look up and you say, wait a minute, like what has gone on with our economy where you have so much talent and energy going to problems that are not actually productive? Uh, you know, you have really talented entrepreneurs who are just saying, my goal is to get it gobbled up by the tech behemoth and then get cashed out. And then, you know, even if they end up squashing whatever it is I was working on, like, well, you know, that's just the, the process now. Like my investors will be happy. I'll be rich. Then maybe I'll like leave and, and, and do it again. Like you have at this point, like an, an economy that is not actually lining up market driven rewards uh, with uh, like people's success and then things that are uh, beneficial for lots of, of folks. Like the, the three things are now kind of split into let's like a trident or like they're heading in different directions. Um, so I'm all for helping people kick ass uh, in every circumstance. But then you look up and say, wait a minute, like have things really kind of lost the thread? Like, do we live in the most dramatic winner take all economy in the history of the world? According to the numbers, yes. Like, do we have greater consolidation in certain industries than we've ever had? Yes. Does that have like really demented effects? Yes. One example, do you and Lisa have kids, uh, Tom? No. Um, so, uh, so one thing that's happened to me is I became a dad, you know, like uh, seven years ago. Um, uh, so we have two boys, seven and four. The seven-year-old's autistic, uh, and like now I'm very sensitive to the fact that we are uh, seeing record levels of dysfunction among young people that are hand in hand with uh, smartphone adoption and social media use. It's like just like the curves just go straight up the same, like you know, exactly. Can way. you when you say dysfunction, what do you mean? What kind of dysfunction? Uh, like high levels of depression, anxiety, antisocial behavior. Uh, it's particularly pronounced among teenage girls. Um, uh, and so one of the, the things you would say, you know, or th this is sort of like a cousin to like, Hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is like, Hey parents, like figure it out. Like, don't, you know, don't, 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 don't let your kids, like this happen. Um, but then you have 40% of American children who are born to unmarried mothers, um, which is much higher than it was when I was growing up. Um, and so if you imagine a household where there's like one parent and that person's working and then there's a kid and the kid like just is getting mesmerized by technology, and then we can see population wide that it's like having a, a negative effect on their mental health. Then you look at it and say, okay, like there probably should be a role somewhere for us to try and improve the, these kids' development environment if we're actually seeing systematic problems with their mental health. And one reason I'm passionate about this, Tom, is that I love entrepreneurship so much. And the fact that we've seen entrepreneurship plummet to multi-generational lows among young people is related to some of these things I'm talking about that are system-wide, that we've created this environment where someone's not going to come out and kick ass and start a new business. Instead, they're going to be depressed and miserable and indebted. Uh, and can, can we tease that out a little bit? So the, the thrust of my life is going to be um, to, I've always saw it as a mindset thing, Just not, not that that solves the entire problem, but what is my particular skill set? Where do I think that I'm insightful? Um, so by no means am I saying this is all you need to do. I'm just saying this is my area of expertise and the small piece that I'll be able to contribute. So I've always saw, I'm, I'm, imagine me. So I, let me give you a little bit of background on myself and for anybody that's watching now and, and doesn't know who I am. Um, I, for an extra credit assignment in college, I was asked to go in and help a kid, 
um, in South Central Los Angeles, one of the worst school districts in the country, to go in and just help him, like mentor him a little bit for eight weeks, help him get his homework done. Uh, so I go and do that. It's supposed to be eight weeks, and he's a wild problem. And of course, they're trying to get him out of class, which is that exactly why they pick him, throwing tantrums and all this. And he says to me, or one day I say, you're supposed to tell him at week six, I'm only coming for two more weeks. I tell him, he freaks out, nuclear explosion, the kid is going bananas. I've, I'm 18 at this point, I've never seen a human act like this ever in my life, I was beside myself. And I finally get him to calm down, I said, look, is this because I said I was only coming for two more weeks? He says, yes. I said, cool, look, man, I will make you a deal. If, if you will do your homework the second that I get here, because he used to like delay and end up keeping me for longer than I was supposed to. If you'll do your homework the second I get here, as long as I live in Los Angeles, I will help you with your homework. Is it a deal? He says, yes. Becomes an eight and a half year relationship. Okay. Now that plants a seed in my soul. I'm watching this kid struggle, but I'm young and stupid. I don't know how to help him. So I'm like, all right, my mission is to show him that beautiful things exist and show him that somebody loves him. So I'm dirt poor at this time, but I take him to see movies in Beverly Hills because I'm like, movie costs the same no matter where you see it. But in one place, you're surrounded by green palm trees. It's beautiful. And so I would do that. And then long story short, he gets sucked into foster care, move farther and farther away. We lose contact. Flash forward 15 years later, I now have 3000 employees. A thousand of them grew up just like this kid did. And so I know how this plays out and I'm devastated. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, how do I get them to think in a way that's going to propel them forward? And I start getting obsessed with this notion of skill set and getting them to build a skill set and to be able to go out. So, okay, this becomes my mission. I'm gonna help people think in the right way that will lead them to acquire the skills that's going to be necessary to move forward. Then people hit me with uh, the learn to code meme, right? Like telling people to improve and get better is like bullshit. So I'm like, okay, I, something is, is making people feel some kind of way and it's stopping them from taking what I think are acts of self-preservation. So my thing is, hey, the system might be broken, and I'm glad you're doing it. That's not my interest. I'm never going to get fucking involved in politics. I cannot tell you how much that does not interest me. I'm very glad people like you were doing it. Um, but that didn't suck me in. So what I want to do is go, okay, you, you, if I'm going to help well, people. dodged a bullet, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, I, I may have dodged that bullet because you're willing to stand in front of it. Um, yeah, so it my thing is. I, my wife is I, I, your wife would say what? I said my wife would say it, the bullet hit me pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, that, that seems pretty clear. So I, it is so important to me, if I'm going to make a meaningful contribution with my life, to understand why I'm trying to plant a tree, right? The tree of think this way, gain these skills so that you can control your life. Okay, that's, that's my punchline. To lead to fulfillment, by the way, not money. But that's my thing. But it's like, I feel like the soul that I, the soil that I keep trying to plant this into has a problem that I don't understand. Even after researching the shit out of you, I'm still having a hard time. Like, what is the floor that's dropped out? A kid is entering the workforce right now. What has gone wrong? It's a winner take all, but I don't understand why that's a problem unless the playing field has become unfair. They can't start a local business. That's one thing that you said, but I don't understand why that's a problem. I didn't start a local business. So is it debt load? Is it fear? Is it education? Is it all of those? Like what if you had to say like the top three things, we need to solve these three things that would then make the soil fertile for individual responsibility, which to me ultimately is the punchline. Um, what would those three things be? 
I love this question so much um, because I think you've hit the nail on the head, which is you're trying to plant the trees and you're like, why is this soil not fruitful? <laughs> why, why, why am I having so much trouble uh, planting these trees? Um, and so this would be like a personal question. Um, like, what kind of family did you grow up in, Tom? Um, my dad sort of bounced back and forth between white collar and blue collar. Um, for the most of my life, he was a purchasing manager. Uh, and then was an uh, um, auto mechanic for a while. And then my mom stayed at home for most of my life, but then went into uh, the workforce when I was like 11. Uh, and what part of the country was that? Tacoma, Washington. Cool. So number one, uh, I would say, is the environment these kids are, are just reared in, growing up in, where, uh, again, I, I mentioned a fact where 40% of American kids are born to single moms. Um, that statistic was around 15% when I was growing up in the 70s or 80s. So, so when I saw that it went from 15 to 40%, I was like, that can't be right. Um, and then I triple checked it and it's like, yeah, it's right. You know, it, it, it's uh, more than double since I was a kid. So you look up and say, okay, what does the data say then about growing up with a single parent? And 90% uh, or so of single parents are single moms. So then you look at the kids' outcomes with single moms. And again, we're talking about 40% of American kids, uh, much higher in certain communities, uh, you know, like, uh, so, um, so the data says that if you're a little girl who grows up to a single mom, uh, things are okay. Like you graduate from high school at normal levels. Um, and there are a number of reasons for this. You have a strong female role model. If you're uh, a little girl growing up, you see mom, she's super mom. Um, and little girls tend to be, uh, uh, faster to mature. Uh, they're good at school. They don't have the same behavioral problems. They graduate from high school and uh, and go to college and at like relatively normal rates. Um, if you have a little boy growing up to a single mom, then unfortunately the outcomes are significantly worse, where apparently little boys have higher sensitivity to parental time input. Um, and so if parents spend less time with the little boy, they struggle more. They have higher behavioral problems. Uh, they mature more slowly. They have economic pro they have academic problems, and they're less likely to uh, pursue higher education. Um, and so you're looking at like the uh, like you know almost the new normal for like half of America, like you know 40% of American school kids. Uh, so then, if you were to to go to that kid and say like, hey you know, like uh, you show up to them. And, and this is probably the, like, the sort of experience you had with your mentee when you showed up uh, in L.A. with a person. You imagine that person multiplied out and you said you had like a thousand employees who might have been from similar backgrounds. Like that is the soil. Um, and then you look and say, well, why did the American marriage rate go off a cliff? Um, and there are a number of reasons for this. So um, marriage and uh, childbearing have both fall into historic lows in the United States. If you're a non-college graduate man, you have a less than 50-50 shot of ever being married in your life. A high school educated- Do you think that's by choice or what's driving that? I've never heard that stat. That's terrifying, I guess, if people want it and can't have it. It's less worrisome if people just aren't choosing it. Well, you know, you, you can project uh, how much of it is like, in, I, I'm gonna suggest that most dudes probably want to, at some point, settle down. Um, you know, there's like a period when they don't, but then eventually they do. So you rewind a generation uh, or two, 
and you say, okay, it's the 1970s, you're a high school educated man, and um, you should know that the the majority of Americans are high school graduates. Uh, like you know, the proportion of Americans who uh, will graduate from college is about 35%. So you're looking at about two thirds are high school graduates. Another like 10% of that 65% are essentially community college, two years, associates, vocational. Uh, but you're looking at majority high school grads. So if you were to rewind a couple of generations ago and you were a high school graduate, what kind of work might you do? You might have worked in manufacturing. Uh, there were 17 million manufacturing employees in the United States of America um, up through the 70s and 80s, and the majority of them were men. So that's one of the major employment sectors for you. And there were ways you could live a fine middle class life in Michigan as like an auto worker or whatever it was, never need to go to college. Um, we eliminated 5 million of those 17 million jobs. Uh, and the, again, vast majority of them were blue collar men. At that same time, then the marriage rate starts to decline. So imagine if you're a blue collar high school graduate man, you now do not have a steady income. And then it's very, very hard for you to propose to a woman and say, hey, marry me. Um, because, oh, by the way, I don't have a steady job. I don't have any future. Like I'm, you know, it's like I'm not a, exactly a great prospect. Uh, and, and so that then the marriage rate declines. Um, you still occasionally procreate. Procreation rate, or like the rate we're having kids, has declined, but it hasn't declined as much as the marriage rate. So you have tons of these kids growing up in single parent households, generally single moms, and it's lockstep with the fact that we have decimated the opportunity set for men who do not have college degrees. Um, if you want to dig even deeper, the the academic outperformance for girls uh, is systemic. Um, and it's not just here, it's everywhere, but uh, approximately 58% uh, of college graduates. Are you saying it's it's global? It's a global issue? Um, generally speaking, girls are better at high school than boys everywhere, including the United States of America. So, uh, so you're looking at approximately 58% of college graduates in the United States are women. Um, and so, you know, so you have this like shrinking group of men um, that like if you're a high school grad, again, less than 50-50 chance you'll ever get married. Um, and then if you never get married, I, I mean, you might have had this experience with Lisa. So I, I'm going deep into this one set of factors, but you said like, hey, what are the three top things where you would say like things are, why is the soil not working? Number one is family. Um, we have done a number on the family unit um, and kids are growing up in really, really adverse circumstances. Um, and, and can I can I say what you just said in different words just to make sure that I understand it? Because this is really profound, if if I'm understanding it correctly. So, hey everybody, um, you had a you have first of all you have a world where there's a lot of people that all call um, undervoiced. Maybe that's the right way to think about it. Um, it's not that they're invisible or they don't have a voice, but they don't have as big of a voice uh, or megaphone as a, a more highly educated person. So they're high school graduate, they're going out into the workforce, we've automated a lot of their jobs away, and this creates sort of an emotional death spiral for these guys. They're not able to um, make the middle class income, which means they have insecurity around whether they could support a family or not. Um, and I've, and you, now I'm putting my own words to it, I'm curious to see if you agree, now that level of financial insecurity becomes sort of emotional insecurity, becomes a lack of confidence, and either they don't actively pursue a relationship for emotional reasons, insecurities, or they're financially, they don't feel that they could support a family, and so they don't pursue it for that reason. 
Uh, or and that is now creating part, Tom is that maybe they do pursue it, but women are like, hey, like you know, go get a job that I can rely on. Yeah, word. And so now you have the family instability created from this shift in the economy. Dude, that that is is one. Is that accurate? That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's accurate. Do you know Jeffrey Canada? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, dude, you're the first person that I think I've ever um, had say yes. So Jeffrey Canada, you're I am people, so yeah, desperate. That guy's a superhero. A hundred percent. I'm so desperate to get him on the show because I have a memory that I can't, I'm not sure if it's true, but my memory of his assessment of the situation is you have to give up on adults. You need to focus on women who are pregnant or about to become pregnant because if I remember correctly, his analysis was, that the big thing that separates kids that grow up in the inner cities, so his what's wrong with the soil, is the, basically your ability to deal with language and to communicate. So he said the average number of words that the kid growing up in the inner cities hears is like 2 million words by the age of five, and the ratio positive and negative is 70% negative, 30% positive. And the ratio in the um, middle income brackets is exactly flipped, so it's 30% negative, 70% positive, and they also hear about 5 million words by the time they hit five. And he was like, the impact that that has on their language centers and their ability to process in a communication environment that you would need to get a good career, he said it, it cannot be um, overstated how important it is to have that additional access to those language skills. And I was like, can it really be that simple? And so hearing you talk about the, the weakening of the family through the weakening of a certain part of the economy um, rings very true. So if that's one, the weakening of the family, what are some other things that you think have, have depleted the soil? You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. 
Therapy can be an option for working through things. And for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. So number one is family. Number two is uh, our educational system. And then number three is the nature of the marketplace right now and what returns your labor can command. Um, so I, I'm happy to dig into number two, um, but I just want to talk a little bit about the Jeffrey Canada. I, is, the research is uh, really compelling. You know, it's like when you look at the number of traumas that a lot of these kids experience, uh, it makes them incapable of learning. It makes them really, really averse to like certain types of stresses and, and, and environments. Um, and then when you show up and you're like, Hey, like, let's, let's, uh, fix it. It's like, you know, you need a time machine. You need a time machine. You need to go back to the, you know, the, like when that kid was in the womb, like, like Jeff's talking about. Yeah. So no, number two is our, our, uh, schooling system. Like our educational system is designed for an agrarian slash industrial economy. Um, and, uh, you, you have social promotion by age, um, and you're preparing kids for a world and economy that stopped existing a long time ago, uh, really. Uh, and so one of the things that breaks my heart is that we have systematically underinvested in vocational education. Uh, only 6% of American high school students are in technical or apprenticeship tracks. In Germany, that's literally uh, 50%. <laughs> so Whoa. so, so what, what we have done is we've essentially said, we're going to pretend that every kid's going to go to college. Oh, by the way, that's not true for the majority of you. Um, and if college is not a good fit for you, we're not going to actually invest in getting you kind of hard technical skills that might lead to gainful employment. Why? I don't know. Like, we, why have we underinvested in it? Um, I think it's because it's more difficult and expensive to have 
shops and tools and garages and trainers and, uh, and, you know, like, um, actual skills, um, than it is just to throw the kids in a classroom with some old textbooks and be like, you know, let's just pretend they're going to go to college. Um, so we need to be investing massive levels of resources in technical education. Um, I would want to team up with Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs and be like, look, these jobs are awesome. We have a massive shortage of people to fill those jobs. Um, and then what do we have is we have an overabundance of people who are going to college. And, oh, by the way, we made college, uh, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year, whatever the heck it is, like depending upon – um, what type of school you go to, but why has college gotten two and a half times more expensive than when uh, I went, or I suspect you went? Did it get two and a half times better? No. Like, did, did they did they hire two and a half times more professors? No. Did they did they like like um, what they did is they hired 150% more administrators, non-academic, uh, and then they said, hey, college is now 50,000 a year or 60 or whatever it is, um, and oh, if you want to go. Don't worry about it. Like, we'll give you loans. Um, and so you have these kids showing up, going to school they have no business going to. The six-year graduation rate um, for these kids showing up to college nationwide is around uh, 59%. So you have 40% of these kids show mm. up not graduating within six years. Um, and so imagine ending up with, like, a debt load and no degree. Does the school ever forgive you if you, like, if it wasn't a good fit? Like, of course not. They're like, hey, you owe us anyway. And so, um, so we have this completely unresponsive, out-of-date educational system that is not actually preparing our kids with real skills. Um, it's just pretending. Um, and then they've also just ginned up the price tag because of essentially uh, bureaucracy and overweight, uh, lack of accountability, just, you know, it's just institutional incentives. Like if you're a school, you just hire more people and then you just pass the price on to the families and students. And then the students look up and say, I don't have a choice, which is why the school can get away with it, because, like, you know, they don't have a choice. And then the family then turns to the government, who then gives them loans that may or may not be the right idea. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in education that um, freaks me out. So, number one, what I like what you're talking about with a vocation, and that to me is um, – uh, there, I think there's a lot of baggage to that word, at least where I grew up. It was just drummed into me that, you know, you didn't want to end up with that a blue-collar job. That is man. That's the stigma. It's like if you do that stuff, you're a loser, like you know, go to college. But then meanwhile, like we have a total shortage of, uh, of skilled work. So here's my obsession. I'm glad you're calling it skilled work. So my obsession is to get people to understand skills have utility. So right now, maybe partly because of the way the school system is is – rigged it's like you just need to get the grade you don't have to think about what you're actually going to do with this information if you ask your trigonometry teacher why am i ever going to need this they actually most of them cannot answer you so you get this sense of okay i'm being shuttled into this system i need to get good grades to please my parents and society and begin to school and to sort of follow the path so okay that's what i'll do and and so my path just so you know in high school i just cheated so it seemed very easy, like, oh, cool, I get it. I, I see what the game is here. Um, I will play it very well. I will use my charm to charm the teacher to turn a blind eye. I will charm my um, fellow classmates to give me their work so that I can cheat. And then when I went to college, I was like, whoa, hold on a second. I actually want to be a good filmmaker. So what purpose would cheating serve me? And I'm going to be taking out tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Like, this is crazy. So when I started college, I made myself a promise, ARF, sink or swim, I wasn't going to cheat, not a little bit, nothing. 
and I was going to see how well I did because I knew if I didn't actually learn what I wanted to learn, the whole rest of my life would be problematic. So now I'm like, when I, when I have employees, I'm like, listen, you're learning this thing not to check a box or to please me. You're learning it because it lets you do something better than somebody else. This is, and I just think in competitive terms, though, I think you may point out that this is sort of systemically a problem, but it's like, this is a winner take all game, homies. Like, this is not everybody gets to win. Like, we're either going to be the industry leader and we're going to get what we want and we're going to be able to outperform and stay in business or we're not. And so I always liken it to building a bridge. It's like, you learn architecture because it actually lets you build the fucking bridge, like an actual physical bridge. And getting people to understand that shit would crumble if somebody hadn't taken the time to learn a skill that allowed them to build that thing. And so that, that is definitely part of what freaks me out about the education system. The other one is just the crippling people with debt. That's the one that's always freaked me out. You graduate with $100,000 in debt, you're going to play it safe. You're not starting a business. No way. Yeah, completely. And we've done that to millions of kids at this point. We're up to $1.6 trillion in student loan debt. This is the third leg of the, the tripod. So number one, families have disintegrated. Number two, our system of education has not actually tried to, it's not even tried to keep up with reality. It's gone up in cost and it's been like, we don't really care. We're not accountants. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, like, it doesn't matter to us what, like, what happens to you. Like, you know, like we already got paid. Um, and then number three is the marketplace has changed fundamentally. And, and so this brings us back to that, you know, the, the evisceration of manufacturing jobs. Yes. But if you look up the majority of the jobs that are getting created now are temp gig or contract jobs in the economy. So um, the marketplace has gotten systematically more punitive and uh, it's hard. It's harder to find a path forward. Uh, and, and Define is, punitive for me. You know, so the, the stat... When I said the majority of jobs that are being created are uh, gig temper contract jobs, um, I don't know how your organization functions, but um, you know if you are in those roles, then uh, you have very little security. You often have very little in the way of benefits. Um, there's massive income volatility for a lot of these workers where they can make some money one week and then very little the next week, and it's a massive stressor. Um, so that's what I mean by punitive. I, I want to talk about that for a second. So one of the things that I love about you is, dude, you're so even keel. And I feel like you really look at things through the lens of what humans are really like and what the reality of the situation is. So help me with this one. One thing that I think is, and in, in going back to education, so my mom and um, her husband work in, um, in education-ish. They work for a school district. That's probably the right way to say it. And when I hear some of the stories about how impossible it is to fire somebody, I'm always telling them, you, you, you can't run a business like that you, under no circumstance. And so I get why you want to reduce or eliminate volatility, but without that, you're not going to get the A players. Like I would much rather be in a company where I've got to sing for my supper to keep you because you have options to go wherever you want to go, but I know that I can get rid of you if you're underperforming so that I can put together a dream team. Now, to keep people, they have to know, like I always tell my employees, I want you to retire here. Like I get I'm bucking the trend. I'm not interested in 18 months. I'm interested in 40 years. Now to do that, I've got to create tremendous opportunities. I've got to give you autonomy. Uh, we won't go into all the things that I think are that secret recipe for success, but I want to be in that position where if you underperform, I'm not obligated to keep you and make sure that you have no volatility. But if you're killing it, I want you to be winning with me. 
How do you, you think you about know that? that I, my organization was very similar to yours in the sense I wanted to keep people, want to invest in them. And that, that is that your mom's experience in the school district, like I would very much struggle in many of those types of environments because if someone does a bad job, I just want to be like, look, you're doing a bad job. Like someone needs to change or you got to go. Um, but that's not the way school districts operate. You know, like teachers are often unfireable after three years. So you should know my operating um, DNA is uh, similar to yours. Um, and the, the fact that many of the folks that are uh, like working environments, they're not working environments like yours, where if they kick ass, they're going to be invested in and then have a path forward and then be given room to grow and autonomy. And then, and the organization itself is growing because that's how you have to create these opportunities because you keep bringing people in like that. That's one of the things that was a massive imperative for me is like, if I'm going to create opportunities for these people, like the top line has to grow, but you can create a virtuous cycle because if you get in the right people, they can grow the top line. And so it's like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> like, like I can just make this thing happen. But then if you get into an environment, like let's call it a school district, that school district is not growing. Um, uh, and so then like, how can you create awesome opportunities for like different people? It's very hard. That's why you wind up with this sort of, sort of a zero sum game where it's like, Hey, you know those environments where someone needs to die for you to get promoted? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like there's no promotion happening unless like – and so you'd be like, I can wait 10 years for that. Like that is um, not unusual in a zero-sum environment. Your organization is unusual and unusually awesome. I always tried to create unusually awesome organizations too. It used to be that people would go even like straight out of school. They'd go for, work for a company that had like some mild – a reliable growth and then they could grow with it and they'd have opportunities. But now you're looking at more of these zero sum environments or contracting environments where the example I just used, I think was like, you went, I like my dad worked for GE, like GE had growth in the seventies or whatever. Like what happened to GE since then? I mean, <laughs> you know, like the entire plants have like closed down, like, uh, you know, um, in, in many parts of the country. Uh, and so you're seeing, um, obviously some pockets of explosive growth in our economy, but in most of the economy, you're seeing uh, something closer to a plateau or even a decline. And then if someone's going to work in those environments, they're just trying to cut costs or like control costs. And then if they bring in new people, they're like, hey, I'm just going to treat you like an interchangeable part. Hmm. All right. Let's talk about the context of where we're at right now. The economy, you talk about contracting. The economy is for sure going to contract for some period of time, maybe short, maybe a very long time. Um, how can someone right now, where we may not be able to make the systematic changes that we need to make as rapidly as we need to make them, how does an individual bulletproof themselves against what's going on in the economy right now? Right now is a very, very, very difficult time, the most difficult time in the generation. Uh, and you should adopt a very lean operating style for yourself. Like th this is the time to really batten down the hatches. Um, you have to be very, very realistic that this economy is not going to snap back like a rubber band. Millions of the jobs that have been lost are not coming back. Um, I have heard from CEOs who said that they're permanently essentially automating and downsizing um, and that they don't plan on hiring back to previous levels, even if things do reopen. Um, we are not rubber bands. It's not like if the government says, hey, you can go outside again, that all of a sudden the bars and restaurants and concert halls and convention centers and I'll be teeming with activity like of course not you know everything's going to be at a diminished rate for a long time so you should just imagine that it's going to be a really really 
disastrous environment for the foreseeable future, plan accordingly. And then if it's better than that, then we can be surprised positively. So one thing that people talk a lot about with you is you've got a sort of pessimistic dystopian view of the world, but you present it so optimistically. Um, so that's sort of the downside, right? Batten down the hatches, um, restrict your spending, sort of stay safe, if you will, understand that you may be weathering a very long-term storm. Now, what are things that, you know, people can be doing proactively? My prescription to everybody is um, one, get your head right so you can stay clear. Most people are going to panic. Even if you lose your job, panicking is not going to help you. So do whatever you need to do right now to learn to stay calm in the middle of the storm. Number two, understand if you can make money for somebody, you will always be able to find a job. So focus on skill sets, right? What you might refer to as a vocation. So focus on getting so good at something that you can help somebody else make the money. Because maybe now really isn't the time for you to start your business. Maybe it is. There's a whole subset of people for whom that will be the right solution. But just sort of speaking to the broad um, people, those are my two things. That you're going to be in, um, in a constricted economy, which means that it's going to be an employer's market. They're going to have the pick of a lot of people coming to them. So now the way to rise up is to have a deeper skill set than other people. And some of that's interpersonal. Some of that is just the, the vocational skills of the job. Um, some of it is getting good at interviewing. Um, but the, the sort of trifecta, so those two things, plus learning that the punchline of all this isn't money, it's fulfillment. It's a, a stable sense of emotional well-being. That should be ultimately what you're aiming for. And so those are the three things that I think people should be sort of obsessively focused on now as the economy contracts. Um, so beyond battening down the hatches, what are other things that you try to focus people on? Uh, I think your advice is very similar to the advice I'd give, where you have to focus on yourself first. If you're not right, uh, you're not going to be able to contribute a lot of value in a lot of different environments. And it's a really hard time to even stay positive and healthy oneself. You know, like you need to have rituals, you need to give yourself victories, uh, you need to create a sort of a, like an environment of positive reinforcement, um, even when you're alone in your house. And that's not easy to do for days or weeks on end for most people. Uh, but that's job one. You can't help someone else if you're uh, in bad shape yourself. Um, I agree with you about trying to develop skills. This is the time to try and dig into something that you have not traditionally had time to do. Um, so that could be listening to podcasts like this one or interviews, reading books. I'm a reader myself. Um, maybe try and develop a skill that you've wanted to develop in some dimension, uh, whether that's uh, some coding discipline or some um, skill with like a particular program or uh uh, creative endeavor, even. I think if you can do something that's creative in this time, um, it might keep you balanced and positive, uh, but it might end up um, making you stronger in some way. And I agree with you on relationships where it doesn't feel like it, but just try and help someone. Um, and just by helping someone, it will end up making you stronger. Uh, you know, you'll end up building connections and, um, and a sense of value um, because, you know, if you have a position where you feel like you can add value in any environment, like you said, then someone will sense that about you and then the opportunities will be there. So I, my advice is very, very similar to yours. Um, hopefully that, that lived up to my like dystopian yet uplifting reputation. <laughs> so far, so good, man. So one thing I want to know, um, 
your ability to assimilate data and turn it into a real-world um, hypothesis of how to make things better is pretty extraordinary. You talked about you like reading. What are some things that you're reading? How, where do you find your information? Are you just good at remembering things? Do you have a process for that? Uh, I uh, Right now, I just started a podcast, which has been great for reading because a lot of the people I have on have written a book and then being a, you know, like, 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 you know, like a reasonably um, diligent type. I'm like, Ooh, I should read this person's book. Uh, so my new podcast, Yang speaks just launched this week, number eight on Apple. Very exciting. Um, congratulations, by the way, that's extraordinary. Um, thank you. Uh, and so then I've been reading the books that the uh, guests have written so I can actually flash a couple of them for you because they're near nearby. Um, so, <laughs> so this one's a, this, this is like a politics book. It's a populist guide to 2020 by uh, crystal ball. And uh, Sagar Engedi. And then, if you were, if you're a parent out there and you wanted to read that research on like what technology is doing to our kids, um, this book iGen by Gene uh, Twang, who's a PhD, um, talking about like what, what's happening with with kids' mental states. Uh, so, in like, uh, I love to read, and having these guests on has been a great excuse to read. Uh, people learn in different ways. Like, you know, my my brother-in-law is all about watching videos, uh, in like tutorials. Um, but yeah, just find like a way to learn that you enjoy and then try and go deep podcasts. I mean, like I know Tom's got this awesome podcast. I love what you're about, man. Like I, I hope that people sense that it is okay to be maximizing your skills and self-improvement and sense of responsibility and your control of uh, your life, your universe, while also saying there are systemic problems that we can objectively improve on. Um, and uh, I'm, very passionate about trying to do both. Frankly, I love your focus on individual improvement because it's, it's about the individual and the world both simultaneously. Yeah, man, that's that. I think it's really well said a and B is super important. Um, I had historically just, I don't know, I wasn't turning a blind eye to it. I just wasn't, it wasn't the thing that I paid attention to, but now as I really hold myself accountable to results and I say, okay, I, I really feel like I know what people need to do at the individual level, but you know, like I said at the beginning, so many people that I think are just unreasonably good at um, taking in the data, and I, I try not to say intelligent because I don't want to dismiss all the hard work that goes into informing um, you know, that opinion, but you, Eric Weinstein, Sam Harris, like there are so many powerful thinkers that I've had on the show that I've had a chance to just imbibe their information. and. I see it changing the way that I think. And so then it's like, okay, well, cool. If the analogy holds, what I'm trying to do is, you know, plant these seeds that will grow into something. I do have to understand the system, which is the soil, understand what's working, what's not working. Um, so I think it's a, a pretty powerful one-two punch, man. I'm so glad, like, I'm super conflicted. I really hope you run in 2024. Um, I don't know if that's on the agenda for you or not, but having you as a part of the discourse I was attracted to you like a moth to a flame, dude. Just the, the way that you analyze the situation, your background as a debater, the way that you stay super calm, that you actually seem open to new ideas. Um, I am haunted by a quote, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but uh, it's Niels Bohr, if I'm not mistaken, or Planck, one of the two, and said, you know, science doesn't progress with each new discovery. It progresses when the old guard dies and the new guard comes up recognizing the truth is self-evident. That sucks. What a lame way for things to make progress, right? Like 
I want to be fundamentally changed by the interactions. You have gotten me to fundamentally rethink, like, how sick is the soil here? Like, is there such a fundamental problem that it has to be addressed? And, and I think it, it has become obscenely clear through COVID-19 that the answer is yes, that we were always sort of teetering on this precipice of a of just catastrophic problem and weren't doing the things we needed to do. So that was a lot of words around thank you for what you're doing. Well, thank, thank you, Tom. I mean, um, I, I respect people who are both open and flexible, but also just awesome at what you do. And, you know, it's like you're clearly awesome at helping people get stronger. And I think it's beautiful. It's like I, I was an operator, uh, an entrepreneur. Um, if anything, actually, it's just been a learning process for me, like interacting with people in different types of organizations where I'm like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like, if you showed up and you'd be like, what, what's happening here? It's one reason why I think that we were able to compete and contend uh, is that we had a different way of doing things than other people in politics in this industry. Um, and I think that Niels Bohr quote, if that is a source, I mean, it's very apt, unfortunately. Like, you know, we, we um, you don't have like a contest of ideas where like the best ideas win. Like there, there's actually something of an order um, and then you, you need to upend the order. It's one reason why we feel so far behind uh, in the public sphere. And one reason why someone like you saying, like, I don't pay attention to that shit, I 100% respect and appreciate because it, it be, <laughs> because it's like, it's actually entirely rational not to pay attention. Um, but uh, I will say that some of the, the problems we're facing with the, the coronavirus, we're going to need uh, our government to improve and accelerate in ways that it never has in our lifetimes. Um, or we're going to be facing a really, really difficult challenging time for like years and years to come yeah well said man well dude where can people connect with you uh learn more stay engaged where do they get the new podcast yang speaks oh thanks man yang speaks uh, wherever you find your favorite podcasts um you can follow me on on social media i'm at andrew yang or andrew yang 2020 depending upon uh the network but would certainly love to stay in touch with everyone we have to dig out of this we have to make it so that we can plant beautiful trees that become awesome pillars for like companies, families, communities, um, and build a future that we deserve. I love it, man. Um, last question. If you had to put into a sentence, what is the impact that you want to have on the world? Right now I'm focused on eradicating poverty. I genuinely don't, do not think that there's any reason for people to be poor, uh, in the most abundant society in the history of the world. Uh, you know, we're at $21 trillion right now. Like we can afford to improve people's lives and give them like decent soil, essentially. And it's not going to work for everyone. You can't make it system wide. But there are some kids growing up right now that just literally have like zero chance, uh, you know, and like you can see it very clearly. And that's something that we can change. I love it, dude. Well, brother, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Everybody out there, uh, it does not matter your political affiliation. It is about good ideas. If you want to move your life forward, if you want to move the lives of other people forward, I promise you it's going to be an idea-centric approach and not a person-centric or, um, you know, what the, your tagline is not right and left, it's forward, um, which I think is brilliant and is how everybody should be looking at data should drive decisions. All right. Speaking of good decisions, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.
Thank you, Tom. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.